0: Hey there, and welcome back to Scopophilia. We are the Millennial Movie Movement, and I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller. Happy post-Halloween, almost Thanksgiving, in-between start of the holiday season, everybody. We have made it to November It's getting very chilly where I am. Uh, I think the high today uh, as of recording this was like 56 degrees. So very chilly in my office in the podcast studio today. Uh, But it's all good because we are in full sweater weather season here in, uh, in New Jersey and here on the East Coast. So what better thing to do on a chilly autumn evening than to watch a movie? And that's exactly what we are here for, people. We are here to watch movies. And I have an incredibly interesting and important interview for you today. So whether you're driving, whether you're cleaning, get ready, buckle up, whatever you need to do. Because we are talking about not only an iconic movie, kind of the staple of what a rom-com is now. But we're also talking about Hollywood today and dealing with, you know, separating art from artists. You know, how do we do that, especially in today's climate of Hollywood reform, of industry reform, of, you know, holding artists accountable for their past actions, for their future actions, and for their present actions, and all of those, you know, really hard topics Are getting covered today because we're talking about Annie Hall, which is directed by and written by Woody Allen, who has become a really controversial figure in Hollywood, even though he is known for being a fantastic writer and a fantastic director. But how do we talk about those things knowing what he has been accused of, so on and so forth? And today's guest, Laura Rubin, the creator of All's Well, um, is on the show today, and she just does such a phenomenal job talking about this film and and talking about this topic, which has always really interested me and has always kind of been at the forefront of my mind, especially when you're doing, you know, classes like film history. you You do have to kind of keep that in mind of, like, you know, these people aren't perfect, and... Their actions shouldn't be excused, but how do we still enjoy art that has been made, you know, from certain people? And I can't, (laughs) I honestly can't even put my head around how important I think this conversation is to have. And I couldn't think of a better film to really talk about this issue. And when Laura said that she wanted to, I jumped at the chance. (laughs) I basically just was immediately on board for the idea. So I will stop talking now because we should just get into it. I've done enough prep work, and it's honestly just such a good time. Even though we're talking about deep things, we are having fun, and and just, you'll understand once you listen. So, without further ado, my interview with Laura Rubin about her favorite film, Annie Hall. Enjoy.
1: Scopophilia, is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film
2: content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening.
0: Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And I got to tell you, this is going to be a very exciting and interesting episode. Uh, one because I have a very lovely and talented lady on today Miss Laura Rubin hi how are you oh well I am great especially when I'm being called lovely and talented really makes my day <laughs> <laughs> Well we like to you know tell the truth around here and have a good time and and so we were introduced via Robert who, uh, is very helpful in getting fun and interesting people to come on the show, and he was telling me a little bit about what you do. Uh, it's it's something in terms of journaling, of helping with with mental health things, or or something <laughs> yes. in that vein. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> I'm totally butchering it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're.
3: That sounds about that sounds about right. So, um, in terms of. Uh, the understanding of what I do, it's a, it's a little amorphous because I created the role. So therefore, that's why it makes sense that it, it's not naturally rolling off your tongue because I don't know anybody else who actually does what I do. And in truth, right. I didn't set out to do this for a living. I had a wonderful career in marketing and communications, but I started a, a journal company called All Swell Creative, on the side very much just as a passion project as a way of inviting more people to the page because of what journaling has provided for me as a lifelong journaler and felt like journaling had a little bit of a PR problem. It was more associated with, you know, like teen girl angst and overly scented candles and the legitimate (laughs) modality for mental, emotional, and even physiological well being. So it was just like trying to, you know, like, like nudge the zeitgeist in that direction. Right. But after... After putting these um, products out in market, I started getting feedback that really surprised me that this thing that had always been innate for me, and I gained so much clarity and peace of mind and um, creativity through the simple act of putting pen to paper. Well, it wasn't necessarily innate for others. They, They felt like they didn't know how to journal or they thought they were bad at journaling or they didn't know where to start or they didn't know how to stick with it. And um, it was through these conversations that I realized that I could potentially utilize my background in writing and journalism and editorial and my experience in marketing and events, experiential marketing specifically, and put together a curriculum and an experience that could probably be very supportive for people as they were operating this experience of journaling and i floated it out started leading workshops and over time i transitioned to doing this as my main jam so when people <laughs> right so when people say like so right. what do you do i still like i still kind of falter a little bit i you know in my sort of right. point, well, you know, i'm a journaling expert i lead journaling workshops i don't know but right. i have a i have a line of journaling products um, it's all of those things and more, uh, but it has been really remarkably rewarding and incredible uh, to be able to do this. And it's brought me—you know—I've I've done it with pro surfers overlooking a legendary break in Tahiti. I've done it with CA agents, um, in, and I've done it in four in Manhattan. I've done it with—you um, know—for eight hundred and fifty people at the same time for Goop. You know, it's—it's it's been really interesting to see where it's brought me. And moreover, it's really satisfying to see how the modality works. So that's a long-winded answer.
0: (laughs) No, but I love that. And it's it it's very interesting and and fun to hear about that because I got a little bit of a taste. And of course I read your bio, but you know, still not quite connecting the dots of like how is, you know, not not to be like disheartening, but like, how is this her career? But like, it makes sense, you know, hearing you talk about it and your background and everything. And I got to say, I love that. Um, I love the fact that it's like a physical entity. And I mean, I've got, I've got my journal here with my notes for today. You're my people. So I am, That's right. <laughs> I am a fan. And I was so, I was so excited when Robert, um, got us in touch with each other. Um, especially because, of the, the film that we're talking about, the content that kind of goes around it, and and also, like, the other conversations that we have about films like this. Because you picked the incredibly, I you know, I don't want to say masterpiece, but pretty incredible film, which is Annie Hall. And so, first and foremost, what was it about Annie Hall that you were like, yeah, this is the one that I want to talk about? It
3: is the movie I've seen the most times in my life. I know it almost by heart. It is annoying to watch this movie with me <laughs> and um i and also as a as a Jew from New York, right? I can so relate to so much of what happens on the screen. I felt seen, I felt understood you know uh, and also, I feel like it is a very important conversation for us to have around now that there's so much question around the character of the filmmaker. And I watched that multi-part series. Um, I believe it was on Showtime or HBO. Um, and, and I watched it very specifically because this is one of my favorite movies, right? Right. And how as a feminist and a person who cares about other human beings, how do I now relate to my favorite film? It's
0: complicated, right? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's, it's so, as, as this is kind of happening with films, because when, when Robert has said you were having this kind of internal struggle with, with between Woody Allen and Annie Hall, and how do we separate art from artists, you know? in terms of like who they are as a person versus what they create i have that same thing with um with american beauty and uh kevin spacey yes. in terms of of that whole thing because i think american beauty is is a phenomenal movie but how do i how do we perceive these things without without acknowledging the other things happening in the background yes. of them. yes, And so I was so fascinated and it's always a conversation that I love having with people because it's just so varying and, and I think we're still trying to figure it out, essentially. We are. How do we do that? We're building oh the bike gosh. while we're riding the bike. Yes, I totally agree. Cul- right. Like as a culture, <laughs> as a culture. Yes. And this idea
3: where, um, you know, DJs have stopped playing R. Kelly, um, some... Yeah some DJs have stopped playing Michael Jackson, right? Uh and mm-hmm. like do you feel differently about one versus the other because one person right. has been proven guilty? It's it's and it's complicated, right? I mean, I was it it's I was raised on Garrison Keillor and Woody Allen and Charlie Rose. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah and how- and how do you we thought these were the good you, guys, yeah, yeah, well, and especially in and like you were saying this, you know the multi part documentary series is is Alan versus Pharaoh or Pharaoh versus allen, one of those and i'm I'm just over halfway through it, and I'm so fascinated by the inner workings of that, which is a whole other conversation, yeah, but it's it's so interesting to think of you know Woody Allen has made movies every year for how many decades now essentially and has kind of portrayed this kind of mousy jewish man from new york and that's it's hard to see him in any other light than that really and so yeah it's a very interesting conversation of how do we how do we navigate this new thing while also recognizing like he's made some phenomenal movies like and and do we do we shut down
3: the art of artists mm. because of their character? Is exactly. that, is that what serves culture best? Mm. Right. If we are, if we're muting all of the films that were made by bad people, if we're muting all of the music that was made by bad people, if we're just like, if if we're taking art off the walls of people, but that were, that, were, that was made by people that, had questionable values is that good for culture is that good
4: for us writ large right and the flip side is if we tolerate this behavior as a culture then who are we right
0: uh (laughs) A hundred percent, and it there's there's I feel like there's no correct answer. There's no right answer. There's just acknowledgement on both sides of I don't know how to win this. <laughs> I don't know how to win this and still feel okay about my own views and and you know the feminism that I also try to have on a daily and, basis and humanism
3: and, right just like, right
0: yeah. <laughs> beyond feminism yeah. just
3: humanism.
0: Right. 100%. And it's, it's difficult. And, and especially when thinking about Annie Hall in particular, because Annie Hall, the the first time I watched it, I was doing my master's degree and it's, it kind of sets the foundations for what we know today as like the modern rom-com and, and also like the bittersweet ending where, you know, he doesn't necessarily get the girl in the end. And that, that was a brand new kind of formula that we were looking at in 1977. So like, I mean, yeah. Yeah,
4: and
3: and this idea also that, um, that he created an environment where he was the romantic lead. Yeah. That this guy who was very intelligent and very, you know, witty and articulate and funny, but pretty nerdy as his, in terms of his appearance. Oh yeah. He cast himself as the romantic lead in many of his films. (laughs) And now I picked Annie Hall because I think personally, I, I mean, I love, I love it. I love also I love the New York bits. I love the L.A. bits, which get overlooked, which are phenomenal. And now that I live in L.A. as a New Yorker, I have even more appreciation for those moments. (laughs) Um, But I didn't choose Manhattan, right? Because to rewatch Manhattan now, it it gives me the heebie-jeebies.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel right. No, (laughs) no,
3: it does not stand the test of time. Visually, sumptuous right? Oh yeah. The cinematography of Manhattan is unparalleled. It is a sumptuous film. It is a love letter to New York, but the content Uh... just (laughs) gross. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think the the subject matter of Annie Hall, that does not give me hives, right? I still think it's funny. And you see that these that that he doesn't have the equipment to show the emotional equipment to show up for Annie the way that she deserves and needs. Oh yeah. But he's kind of honest about it. the the, mm. the one part that still that now was so funny but doesn't seem funny anymore is um the Anthony Robbins character with the twins. That part oh. doesn't work for me anymore. Twins, Max no. twins. Do you remember the do you realize the mathematical possibilities? And I thought that was right. a funny line. And now I'm like, that's gross. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and I think he even indicates that they were 16. Oh, wow. 16-year-old twins. Wow. Which does not hold up in any regard. No.
4: <laughs> yeah. No. So,
0: But otherwise, I feel, like, I feel like you're right. I feel like this film kind of stands up. Because it's really not necessarily about... Because I, I think it's kind of perceived that Woody Allen's character, Albie, is technically older than Diane Keaton's character, but it's not in like a gross way, which, you know, thank goodness, but (laughs) it's, (laughs) but but a a lot of, it's not so much that, you know, he's, you know, older and, you know, showing her all these new things. It's more of a story of like communicating, with your partner and, you know, it it feels very realistic in terms of like how new relationships are and how older relationships are. And, and it, it does feel very human in the, in that aspect. And there are just so many,
3: there, 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 the, the interaction between Annie and Alvy is definitely one where he is trying to, he, 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 he's trying to change her, right? It is a little Pygmalion-esque yeah and there are also brilliant moments of uh, where you still nod your head in understanding when he, you know he's at, like when they're breaking up and he uses a shark metaphor
4: mm, that relationships
3: yeah. are like sharks and they have to keep moving unless uh, otherwise they die and what we have on our hands here is a dead shark I mean that is as like woke a statement in terms of like his, <laughs> his, <laughs> perfect analogy, you know, that, um, that like, you know, yoga teachers in Topanga, I can picture that
4: saying. Right. I
0: no, a hundred percent. And I, the, the, the dialogue is so dry and and witty. And I, I love that in old school comedy, like just aesthetically, for some reason, it just makes my brain happy. Yes. But I I mean, I love that scene where it's it's constantly reinforcing this thought of they are saying the same thing to each other, but they're not hearing it from each other or they're saying something about themselves that the other person isn't hearing. And like, I love the scene where they're, they're talking to each other and their subtitles about what they're actually saying. Yes. Cause that, I, that is so true. That is yes. so true. Yes. <laughs> yes.
3: And I also love like how he cuts forward and back, you know, yes, and um, this idea where you can see her just trying to please him and wanting to impress him and then flash forward and how she, it is just over it, just over it, right? And the yes. dynamic yes. is completely different. <laughs> and just you it, all of it is so such such a slice of reality, and he captured it so beautifully because relationships do go through those arcs, right? That you do have realizations and and the the dynamic changes over time. And he captured it beautifully,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of the notes I wrote was like by the end of the film, it almost feels like he she has outgrown him personality wise. Like she she has has very much bettered herself to a way that she is confident about herself. She's making her own decisions and he isn't there. And then he's surprised why she doesn't want to be with him in the end. Mm -hmm. It's 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 kind of hilarious and like dark. (laughs) and good for him for writing himself that way yeah uh oh, i so i mean let's start with a a difficult question then do you have because we like, all
3: the terrain we've covered so
0: far is super right. easy <laughs> <laughs> touche <laughs> well i was going to say it was do you have a favorite like moment or part in this movie i know you've seen it who knows how many times now and that's always a difficult question. <laughs> okay, I mean it's, it's really
3: hard for me to answer because there's so, <laughs> so so there, I have a few I have a few different moments, right? Okay um, One of them, because it is a tucked away gem that most people don't even realize, is the Jeff Goldberg. Moment. Oh, yes. Gold Bloom. Yes. Sorry. Gold Gold Bloom, moment. Bloom. <laughs> he has one line. Yes. And he's clearly calling. He's in LA at a party and he's calling <laughs> his guru on the phone. And his one line is, I forgot my <laughs> mantra. And it's so genius. And it's Chef Gold Yes. <laughs> one line, tucked away. It's just this tucked away little gem, you know? So that's right. That is one of my favorite moments. Another one is the scene where he, where Albie sneezes and the coke blows everywhere because it is one of the funniest moments I've ever seen in film. Legitimately (laughs) one of the funniest. It's just like comedic gold. Right. And I love that. Like you, it stops there. The scene stops there. You don't even get to see the rest of what happens because you know what's going to happen, and it just right. it just stops there. <laughs> um, so, and and it's like about a taboo tab- topic, and it just it all kind of it, it it makes a taboo topic funny, right? Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, I think my favorite moment of all time is when he is online. Um, to go see the sorrow and the pity, and mm-hmm. uh, the the person behind him is like pontificating about the film. Oh and,
0: my gosh! Yes, yeah, <laughs> and I,
3: I and he actually pulls Marshall McLuhan yes! out. And has him say, "Like you don't understand anything of my writings. You don't understand me at all." You know, that is my favorite
2: part of the, of the whole movie. He's not absolutely sure what it is he wants to say, because I've always felt he was essentially a, a technical filmmaker. Granted, La Strada was a great film, great in its use of negative imagery more than anything else. But that the central sense. cohesive core, a stroke. Well, you know, well, stop must lead through him. an artist's work, leading from one to He's the screaming other. Screaming his opinions Is in my ear, you understand know what I'm talking about? Like all that like Juliet of the Spirits or Satyricon, I found it incredibly. Indulgent, you know, he really is. He's one of the most indulgent filmmakers. He really is. And without without getting, uh, let's put it this way. What are you depressed about? I miss my therapy, I overslept.
1: How can you possibly oversleep? The alarm clock. Do you know the hostile gesture that is to me? I know, because of our sexual problem, right? You, everybody online at the New Yorker has to know our rate of intercourse.
2: It's like Samuel Beckett. You know, I admire the technique, but it, it doesn't—it doesn't hit me on a gut level.
1: I'd like to and hit this guy on a gut death. level. Stop
3: it, Alvy. You know, he's,
2: he's
1: spitting on my neck. You know, he's
3: spitting on my neck. The most important when he talks. thing of all it, and you, you know something vision. else. You know,
2: you're so egocentric that if I miss my therapy, you can only think of it in terms of how it affects you. It's done, shot
1: is what it is. Probably on their it's first a date, right? View Probably met by and answering an ad in the New York and Review of Books.
2: <laughs> oh, well, 30-ish geez.
1: academic wishes to meet woman who's interested in Mozart, James Joyce, and sodomy. <sighs> What do you mean Our sexual problem. Okay. I, I mean, I'm comparatively normal for a guy raised in Brooklyn.
3: Okay, I'm very sorry, my sexual problem. Okay, my sexual problem, huh?
1: I, I, I never read that, that was that was uh, Henry James, right? Novel, you know the, the
2: sequel to Turn of the Screw. It's the my influence sexual. of television. Yeah, now, Marshall McLuhan deals with it in terms of it being a, a high, a, a high intensity, you understand? A hot medium, uh, what I as give for a large
1: sock as a horse manure, manure in it. it, in it. What, what do you do when you get stuck on a movie line with a guy like this behind you? Wait a minute, why can't I, just I give my maddening. opinion? It's a free country? Hey, did, he, he can give you, you yeah. have to give it so loud. I mean, aren't you ashamed to pontificate like that? And, and the funny part of it is, Mar- Marshall
2: McLuhan, you don't know anything about Marshall McL- oh, McLuhan's really? work. really, really? I happened to teach a class at Columbia called TV, Media, and Culture. So I think that my insights into Mr. McLuhan will have a great deal of validity.
1: Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, that's funny because I happen to have Mr. McLuhan right here. So, so yeah, just let me, let me, let me, come over here a second. Oh, tell I, him. Heard, I heard what you're saying. You, you know nothing of my work. You mean my whole fallacy is wrong. How you ever got to teach a course in anything is totally amazing. Boy, if life were only like this.
0: Yes. Well, and even at, by, like, the end of that moment, I think Woody Allen says something like, don't you wish life could be this way? Yes. And it's like, yes. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> it, is so, it is so profoundly satisfying.
3: That yes. is what I love about it. Because it's, it's a total <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> it's a total farce. But, um and you know i also i also love it when he starts talking to the horse when he, on the street just like there's so many good moments and i love that it goes in and out you know he's got even like a little um animated segment he's play, he plays around with yeah. so many different kinds of filmmaking and it and it all hangs together as a whole it's brilliant
0: yeah for sure and it it is interesting you bring up that aspect of like the filmmaking part of it cause there are so many moments like when, when him and Rob are walking down the street in the beginning of the movie, but they're like two blocks down. And for a minute, you don't even know like, where's this audio coming from? Like we, where are these people talking? I don't even know, but that's, that's kind of a theme in the movie of like, you, you're not really sure where it's coming from. You know, people are saying things off screen or, or I love the scene where they're in, where they're in bed and, he's like, well, I don't like it when you get high. And she's like, well, I would rather get high first. And then she leaves her body yes. because her mind is no longer there in that moment. Yes. And I, that's so incredibly powerful and so incredibly interesting of what happens when you're not like actually, pre- oh my God, I just can't, I just can't. No, it's, it's so- actually really
3: remarkably astute and aware yeah, On his part, <laughs> that he yeah. is able to even pick that up, that women do that, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. And by the way, not for nothing, I think it's worth noting that she calls it grass.
0: Yes. <laughs> which is just like hilarious now, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's definitely a 1977 film, for sure. Not even pot. Grass. Right. Grass. (laughs) Next thing you know, they're going to be saying Mary Jane or something.
3: (laughs) It's like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I know.
0: (laughs) But it it is, it's very interesting in terms of the way, because you're right. he, He writes himself in this way of throughout the whole movie. And, you know, maybe this is just my perspective. He's like sex obsessed at all times. He is interested in, you know, helping this you know partner grow in a certain extent to better themselves and then as soon as they are he doesn't want them anymore and is finding any kind of excuse so like he writes himself in almost a negative light by the end of the film so like and he doesn't get the girl to your point he doesn't get the girl like (laughs) it's it's pretty astounding especially for that that time period and and one of the things I was wondering, I was trying to do some research and I can't find a link necessarily. But so you have Annie Hall in 1977, and then you have Harry Met Sally in 1989. So 12 years difference, but it, it kind of feels similar, mm-hmm. but different. Mm-hmm. I never would
3: have put that together, but I think you're right. I don't think there is a Harry Met Sally without an
0: Annie Hall. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering, like, if there was some quote from Nora Ephron or something to say, like, yeah, I was heavily influenced by Annie Hall, but I haven't been able to find anything.
3: (laughs) I don't know, but God bless Nora Ephron. Oh, God
0: bless her. (laughs) So, I mean, have you, as a New Yorker, as a native New Yorker, and as a Jewish woman, Mm -hmm. have you been in a relationship much like this relationship between albie and annie <laughs> have you ever been with somebody who's like yeah be better and then it's like nah
3: <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah <you> know <laughs> of
0: course
3: there was this guy in my 20s oh he was the worst he was you know was, <laughs> ugh, he was the worst he was a philosophy major in undergrad and, it was, and like his father was a lawyer and he just loved to pick an argument he was the worst not going to say his name, but wherever he know wherever he is, he knows he was a rotten boyfriend. <laughs> and he just he just constantly wanted me to like better myself and by like reading like Kierkegaard. <laughs> 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 like, dang. And, like you know, in retrospect, he was just such a jerk. <laughs> I, mean, I remember, like after after dating a couple of these guys, uh, you know, because like I thought, like oh, I like really smart guy. It's like, no, I don't really care if they're smart. I just want them to be nice. Like That's more important to me. They don't have to be that smart. It's okay. But as long as they're right. nice, yeah, it's more important to me. Right. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, Isn't
0: that the truth? Yeah, right. But so
3: um, now I have a guy that's smart and nice, which is awesome. But the point is that that literally, yeah, I did have an experience like that in New York. Absolutely. And, and decided that, as a result, these this like Pygmalion-esque guy who wanted me to quote unquote better myself so I sounded more like in line with what he wanted me to sound like when we went to cocktail parties mm. with his nerdy ass friends and like, you know, <laughs> who wrote for like foreign affairs or whatever. And and right. he and and at some point I realized like, oh no, you're a snob and a jerk. <laughs>
0: I love that. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And good for you. Eventually, but you know, I caught on, but there, but there definitely was that experience. And I think a lot of women have had that. And I think women do it sometimes to men too, right? That they, that it's, it's not like one gender or another. It's like, well, are we going out with a person that we want to go out with? Are we going out with a person that we think that they could become?
0: And Mm. so
3: often it's the latter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And isn't it I mean, I just go back to how interesting it is that, you know, from start to finish we're following Alvy who is, you know, neurotic, Manhattanite who is he is set in his ways and he does not want to change and and then by the end of the movie he's the same, exactly the same. <laughs> he's the same guy. It's like it's like we expect him to grow because she does. And nah, <laughs> nah, 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 he doesn't. You know, it,
3: it's also, it's great. I love the Paul Simon moment in the film too. Oh, in yeah. LA. Again, like yeah. now that I live in LA, I have a greater appreciation for the LA portion <laughs> of the film. And, yeah. um, you know, when he, like, what like for instance, when Alvy um, when goes to the Source restaurant and he orders a plate of mashed yeast, I just, but that is what, you know, like that is what a lot of New Yorkers think menus look like here. If they go to like a vegan restaurant and, and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, to them it's, they might as well be ordering a plate of mashed cheese They don't know. So, but when, um, like the Paul Simon moment, when Paul Simon is just like like and it's like so insufferable. Like like Alan makes him just so insufferable. Like yeah. oh, he just want to like come hang out with um, uh Angela and Jack. You know, <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like a gag. Like <laughs> right. But um, <laughs> the reason why I bring up Paul Simon is that I actually think of Annie Hall, the film, when I listen to the song "So Crazy After All These Years." That oh. um you know, she sings, seems like old times at the end of the film. And there's this beautiful, Mm. like montage flashback. And for me, that's like the, that's the redemption. That's the redemption moment of the film. So like, have they learned anything? Well, Alvie hasn't really learned anything Annie's learned a lot and she's moved on. Right. But he fundamentally to your point, hasn't really changed. Um, but now they have this bank of memories and they're and the memories themselves are what is earned through the experience, and that i that idea is in and of itself reward enough for having gone through the relationship.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, it's so interesting. Even just down to the cast, there are so many different levels of this movie. Like you have the cast is an all star cast. You know, Carol King is Allison, Paul Simon, Shelley Duvall is Shelley
3: Duvall.
0: Shelly Duvall is here. You have,
3: and I have never forgotten the name, the way she pronounces the word to me, raccoon. Mm-hmm. She pronounces it raccoon. You have a pet yes. raccoon? <laughs> See, <what laughs> is is she like what? I've never heard anybody pronounce, like maybe like in Canada. I don't know. Right. <laughs>
0: I mean, you have, you have a stellar cast of people. Christopher Walken is Christopher in this movie. Christopher Walken. Dwayne, the brother. <laughs> I do love that part where he's like, sometimes I think about driving in oncoming traffic and then he drives them
3: back. <laughs> Albie's face of, like, sheer terror, and, and, you know, like, um... Yeah, um, and Annie's just chill. And then you just see his face. And it's so good. And he's in the Porsche, of course. Of course. And of course. The sound of breaking glass.
2: Alvy. Hi, Dwayne. How's it going? This is my room.
1: Oh, yeah? It's
2: terrific. Can I confess something? I tell you this because, as an artist, I think you'll understand. Sometimes, when I'm driving, on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me, fast. I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing gasoline.
1: Right, well, I have to... I have to go now, Dwayne, because I I'm do back on the planet Earth.
3: Yeah, it's just it's so good. It's so good. This, I mean, the cast is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I mean, like you said, Jeff Goldblum is in it as like a throwaway. He yeah, he wasn't big at the time, so he was just there. And then Sigourney Weaver is in this somewhere. I had to like, I had to, I read it, and I was like, I she's there. Where is she? And then like. You know, a year, two years later, she is an alien, and then that's when it all explodes. But it's like, what are all these people doing? together?
3: <laughs> yeah, he, his his casting was masterful. And oh, when you think sure. about like, just that the quality, and you're right, the number of people that weren't major players at the time that he recruited and and some of them were, right? but um oh, yeah, but it, I mean, Annie Hall made Diane Keaton.
0: Oh yeah. And I love, I read the, she wore all of her own clothes. It was like a splash at the time. And I was watching it this time. I'd totally forgotten that, that aspect of this film. And I was watching it and I was like, wow, this looks just like her Instagram posts that she does now. Like the, the, the vest with the tie and the hats and the, you know, very kind of like fashion androgyny thing that she has going on. Yeah. Saw her own clothes. I love that.
3: Yes. (laughs) She styled herself and she was so ahead of her time and so chic, flawlessly chic and flawlessly herself. And oh, yeah. I, I, can't Im- I can't imagine, I mean, the, and the tie from, that was a gift from Grammy Hall, right? You know, yes. just the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing was just so genius and beautiful. The fact that he took that and he worked it in to the film, right? So he actually like built her sense of style into the script right yeah he saw her he saw that and he was like i'm gonna use that and to build out her character
4: mm-hmm. and talking
3: about like i i love this look that you have going on right like it's in it's in the script and, yeah um and it's <laughs> and it's her it's it's innate to her
0: 100 percent. and it, it's so It's just all the little details. I mean, even when you're looking at, you know, he doesn't get the girl, but there's still like a little epilogue at the end of, well, I did run into Annie later and she was doing fine and we were doing fine and it was a good time. And there's that shot of him on the corner watching her walk away. And then we watch him walk away and then it's just New York. Yes. We're just watching. Life is still moving. Oh my gosh, I just got chills. Yes. Oh, I know. It's so. it's just, it's poetic and it's visually interesting and it's, it's real, which I think it just hit all the perfect markers to make Annie Hall what it is. Yes.
3: Does that make sense? I do. I do. And, (laughs) and it really, it, it it didn't serve us up something that we didn't believe could happen. Cause it it was, it was fundamentally believable because of the, the story arc was, imperfect and all the people in the film were imperfect and that was ultimately really relatable and believable. And, um, but he, but he elevated the language in such a way that, um, that, and and I mean, his, his comedy, right. It's not like he was telling jokes. Um, but he was able to work in just little, like, like the, like la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la right? Yeah. I, I don't even know where that came from. Like, I wonder where that came from, you know, the Chippewa yeah. Falls thing, all of it. And, um, and it really is just like insufferable to watch this film with me because I say <laughs> all the things before they say them. And um, so I, at this point, either have to muzzle myself or just watch it <laughs> by myself. That's, that's that's, I mean, otherwise I just, people don't like me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, then it sounds like you're watching this movie with the wrong people is what I'm hearing. (laughs) They don't want your commentary. Nobody likes
3: (laughs) when when you say the punchline right before the, nobody likes that. (laughs) And I have to, I have to like watch it with like, (laughs) like my hands (laughs) over my
0: mouth, you know? You mean to tell me. (laughs) people don't like when you do that. <laughs> what no. my fiance's been lying to me for years I'm
3: sorry babe. no I'm sorry to be the one to, to, to break it to you but no Mm-mm. not generally oh man I'm just like shoving popcorn in my mouth trying to not right. yeah
0: mm-hmm. so I mean there's so much to say about this film and I was telling my fiance this feels like a big conversation just because of what we know about Woody Allen now versus what we know about his films, right? And I mean, do you do you sit down and watch Annie Hall differently now knowing, you know, the things that have come out in terms of who Woody Allen was? I
3: I have not rewatched it since watching that multi-part series. I actually can't watch his work right now. Mm, it's it fair. Um, it doesn't. It. It. I. Can't, I can't enjoy it at the moment.
4: Mm. And
3: we're talking about my favorite film of all time that I have easily nice. seen thirty times. Right. That and and have enjoyed it and introduced other people to it over and over again and like done screenings that I loved this film. I still do love the film, but I can't watch it right now, nor can I watch mm. any of his films at the moment. I don't get the same enjoyment. I can't detach from what I know. And granted, right. it hasn't been proven in a court of law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm. I, I, you know, I don't want to overstate the case, but also I, 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 you know, the whole thing was, in, is incredibly believable. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and it's different, right? Cause when you have a Harvey Weinstein, who right. has been convicted, not just mm-hmm. in the court of opinion but in the court of law, and now mm-hmm. R. Kelly, right, convicted not just in the court of opinion but the court of law, then it's more definitive, and also, frankly, kind of healing. Right, I can watch old Miramax films without like cringing. Right, Um, And granted his paws aren't all over it the same way, you know, Woody Allen's films are, um, like a, like a, uh, like a representation of, of his mind and character and so forth. Um, Right.
0: Absolutely. It's like a sigh of relief though, a little bit.
3: But you know, that's just it. It's like when justice has been served, then somehow the, Art, for me, and this is like maybe completely antithetical to what other people feel, and I would be really interested in this conversation, right? that yeah, that like it loses it loses the power of of no, I shouldn't be watching this or I can't enjoy this or I can't because you no, know, he's he's been found guilty, and he is paying his penance. yes. and and somehow that feels more like healing, and then I can enjoy the art again,
0: yes. I agree. And and it was interesting. I was talking with my fiance, Sean, about this a little bit beforehand. And one of the things that he had said was, um, you know, I wish that I could watch these things without knowing if, you know, X amount of royalties are going to them every time I watch this or listen to, you know, something, something, something. I wish there was a way that, like, maybe they stop getting paid for it after this. And I'm like, well, they have to be found Guilty. guilty. And and also, I don't necessarily know the law behind, you know, like R. Kelly, for example. He still technically will make royalties because it wasn't part of his crime. It was just he made this music, but I don't know if he necessarily gets them. It gets complicated after that in terms of in terms of quote unquote supporting said art, but you also want to enjoy the art, so. Uh, <laughs> yes, and 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 that is why
3: DJ stopped playing him, right? Because right. they didn't want to encourage that, and it worked. Mm, yeah, to a large
4: degree, yeah. it worked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's
0: it's definitely hard, I'd say, as somebody because I mean, I love movies. The movies are my life, and. And it, it makes me sad, you know, for even for you to say, I love this movie. I've watched this movie upwards of 30 times and I can't watch it right now because of everything that's going on. And yeah, that makes me sad. And it makes me sad for other, you know, people who feel that way too. But I think it's also good to an extent that like we're, we're you know, realizing these things and and trying to figure out like, what does this mean for, for art making for, you know, the next couple generations at the very least? Yeah.
3: And it's a slippery slope because, you know, on one hand, I think it is completely understandable for the public to, to hold the individual accountable for his actions or her actions. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then, and it's, you know, like we vote with our feet, we vote with our dollars, we, you know, and, and that is the opportunity we have as individuals. And, um, however, if we expect all of our public figures to be morally perfect, Mm -hmm. that isn't realistic. And I feel like the pendulum is certainly is, has swung, um, pretty far in that direction. And there's this, There's this sort of like zero tolerance policy and and like, how, how does somebody, how does somebody recuperate, recover, grow from that? And I, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the Harvey Weinstein's of the world, right? I'm talking about people who made mistakes, want to do better, don't know how to learn, don't know how to move forward. And don't we need to make space for them too? And right. You know, there's there's a there's a big argument that says like no, we don't need to. We don't owe that to them. They've got to they've got to figure it out. Uh, But you know, like, can I? It's it's older than it. For me, it predates me too. It's you know, Philip Roth. Can I enjoy Philip Roth knowing Mm. what a son of a bitch he was to Claire Bloom? Can Mm. I read Ted Hughes (laughs) having read Sylvia Plath? Right. Like how like how do we operate in this world? What standards do we expect of our artists and our public figures in general, but specifically our yeah. artists, right? Mm-hmm. And
0: to be able to enjoy their art. Yeah. I mean, Picasso, great example. You know, he wasn't necessarily a a beacon, a beacon of morality. <laughs> oh, no, misogynist motherfucker. Like really oh, yeah. cool. Like yeah. Picasso was cruel. Yeah. Is he still considered one of the greatest artists of all time? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And how, ha- you know, it's I it's it's a good discussion I think to be having, but I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think that's and, okay too. And you know, the difference like for for
3: each individual with each individual piece of art and is I think, you know, I have to, I I also want to separate artists and writers and filmmakers and musicians from politicians, restaurateurs, news presenters. Like it's different, right? I'm not talking about like, if you're, you know, if you're Matt Lauer, you can suck it as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) right? But what I'm talking about is people who are creatives and they're making Mm -hmm. incredible Works of art,
4: and they're deeply flawed people. And I,
3: how do how do we separate that for ourselves? And and what what does that line look like? And and for me, in part, it's like, well, okay, have they been convicted? Like that 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 does somehow give me more latitude to be like, oh, okay, I'm less uncomfortable because I am no longer having to toe the line of holding them culpable. Individually, right. like I no longer have to hold him culpable because, like, the system has done that. You know, right? But right. as a consumer, when when like specifically around Woody Allen, where clearly something really messed up happened, right? Yeah, something yeah. really messed up happened, and then him covering it up has also been really messed up, right? Yeah. So yeah. so then, as an individual, right? He he's. I don't see like any fallout for him, really. So all I have is my own action as a way mm-hmm. of participating or not participating in holding him accountable. That's the only yeah. power I have, right? And mm-hmm. so it does feel like I, I need to toe that line a little bit more, just despite the fact that it hasn't empirically been proven in a court of law, et cetera. Um, but it's that I have to toe that line as an individual until justice has been served, sort of.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, absolutely understand what you mean in terms of, it's not necessarily, if, if the law doesn't hold them accountable or if they, the law can't hold them accountable, I'm the only moral compass that's left in my life in concerns of this. You know, so it's like, I totally understand where you're coming from. That we, the probably, people,
3: the like, yes. public at large, we have the opportunity to hold him accountable, but it has to be every single individual making that choice. Yeah, And then I'm participating in that. And, yes. and that's where I feel like the, like the moral compass is like, okay, well, I know that my watching it or not watching it is um, really insignificant to it's like, like it's not even a nap, you know, in his world, right. but, right. but again, it's about as individuals in this country of individuals, we are taught like our individual vote counts. And, and, and as consumers, we vote with our, with our dollars and our, and, and what we do actually does make a difference. And I want to believe that yeah. perhaps on some level that's, I'm applying that same logic to my choices of, what I read and what I watch and what I listen to.
0: Right. And, you know, totally valid. And I totally understand your point of view. I'm probably not articulating it as well as I feel like you are, but it, it's it's a new way of navigating things. And and I think, you know, the more things that come out about, especially it feels like older celebrities who have been in the business for years where, you know, in the 70s, this apparently was okay behavior. not. I mean not that it was it actually It
3: wasn't just okay. the 70s. It was the right. 90s. It was it was I mean I was recently with a friend of mine who uh, is a presenter on television um in the political realm and mm-hmm. uh, we've been friends for a long time and I remember her telling me stories about being chased around the desk by very prominent international politicians. And right. we were we were we were both young at the same time, right? And, um, and we didn't know that there was any other way we didn't right. know. And I was, um, chatting with a couple other friends the other night, the, um, the, uh, the Monica Lewinsky, the, the American yes. story. I wanted was to watch that so bad. I've heard it's great. I've heard it's great. Yeah. And, um, they both really encouraged me to watch it. And I was an intern in the nineties in Washington, D.C. and working, you know, for an environmental lobbying group. And I, I, that I totally understand how that happened to her. I completely understand how that happened to her. It makes perfect sense. And that was the time that we lived in that we as women didn't realize that there was any other way. And I'm so grateful that that is now dismantled. Yeah.
0: For sure. I mean, it's 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 kind of incredible, you know, sitting here now with 2020 hindsight being like, how was that ever how did that ever go by my 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 viewpoint thinking that's normal. Which is so great that now we, you know, we're in a position where we can identify those things and say, "No, Absolutely not. That's not going to fly anymore. But it's it's so, I mean, even, even just looking at Annie Hall, which I don't think necessarily has some of those things that we've let slide. But even just thinking that like some of those things might've been happening behind the scenes rather than in the film is like- Ick. Yeah, it's real Ick.
3: Major Ick. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about that before right now.
0: Ick. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, okay. I should have said it. No,
3: no, no. <laughs> I'm glad you did. And I actually think that that also is a really interesting layer, um, new lens, right? Because a lot of what's being revealed is stuff that's happened in the past because what mm-hmm. happened in the past, like in our past, things were tolerated that are no longer being tolerated. Thank goodness. Yes. But your point is, and I actually have no idea about the timeframe, like when he met Mia Farrow and when they, I don't don't know. But if in fact that's the case and knowing full well that he was carrying on this wildly inappropriate relationship with a child while making a film, it really does, it gives you the full ick.
0: Yeah. And it I I don't, again, I don't know the timeline, but it is interesting to think like, you know, in terms of what that timeline is of his personal life and and, you know, the allegations against him versus the timeline of the films he's making, what lines up with what? And then how do you deal with that layer on top of it when, again, he hasn't been arrested or persecuted, you know, in a court of law? or or arraigned or anything like that so it it is an interesting thing especially when you think how great a movie Annie Hall is yeah it's frustrating yeah in a good way if that makes sense
3: which is why I wanted us to talk about it right
0: hundred percent (laughs) hundred percent
3: because there's a lot here to unpack and I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna land on the answers necessarily but I think the questions are worthy ones and it's a it's a it's a dialogue that we need to be having in culture right now. Because again, if we, if we hold all of our artists to this moral standard, I don't think that we're going to be served by that, this impossible moral standard because artists are flawed human beings and they make mistakes, et cetera. But does that mean that we should make dispensations for their, for their horrible behavior? No, no, I'm not saying that. Right but also i don't want just mediocre art from really nice people
0: right yeah and where is that line and and is it a movable line is it something that you know it, and again there's there's no there's no solid answer at the moment that i think we as a society have agreed upon correct and i don't i don't know if it's going to be for another couple years at the least that I think we finally not figure it out, but at least come to a general consensus. <laughs> yeah. Where we, where we, the conversation
3: lands, but I I yeah. think that it will continue to, to evolve and move and shift and change. Um, I, I do agree with you that, that there, that it'll sort of gel at some point, like there will be mm-hmm. some kind of, um, general tolerance level that is or is not met and, and anything to the left is not okay and anything to the right is passable. I I agree that's that the that generally culture will will level itself out and, and find new a, a new semblance of what's acceptable or unacceptable. Right. But I do believe over time that will continue to shift and change. As humanity <laughs> to like do horrible (laughs) and wonderful things right
0: yeah it's just and i mean i know we're getting kind of close to the end of our time together and so i want to really quick just say i mean is there anything else that we want to talk about in terms of annie hall whether that's including woody allen as a person or not including woody allen as a person
3: Uh, I, 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 <laughs> no, you <laughs> know, here's why I'm totally, you know, struck dumb is because uh-huh. on one hand I want to tell everybody to watch it, right? <laughs> I, I go, just, just watch it; it's great. You're gonna love it. And then right. on the other hand, I'm like, I can't say that right because I don't want to be propagating right <laughs> so, so like and, and then there's like the other thing of well I chose the film for us to talk about so therefore I'm going to be driving more people to it so you know like what's right what's not right and that's why when you when you I I'm very rarely without a response <laughs> very very rarely but I don't know what to say. I don't, and that I think is part and parcel. Uh, it, it, it's like the perfect way to wrap up because right? <laughs> we are all just at this like really awkward terrain where we're not sure what to do and what's right and what's not right. Even people who bring excellent intention and the like, and, and want to do the right thing. Even for those of us who, who bring that to every dialogue, it's really, awkward.
4: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there go.
3: Me being awkward is just the metaphor for the whole thing. 100%.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I want to say thank you for coming on the show because I, I think you're right. I think that's a perfect stopping point. Thank you for coming on the show. First and foremost, oh, it's um, my pleasure. Where can people find you? Obviously you have some social media links, you know, I got the thing. Want- I got the link.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, um, to find me on the internet, go to all creative. That's a L L S W E L L com. Sign up for my newsletter. Um, you can um, also check out all of the upcoming in-person and digital workshops that I lead. And I would love for you guys to join one. And then, um, on Instagram, you can find me at, at all swell creative. That is, um, my, uh, my business, uh, brand handle. And then my personal <laughs> handle is, and you can tell I'm bad at this stuff is at Laura L. Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, Laura L. Rubin. And um, I personally answer every DM there. So often when people have um, journaling questions or questions about um, booking workshops or whatever, that's where they hit me up and I'm happy to respond.
0: Love that. Well, I mean, thank you for the work that you do. I love going back to this, you know, physical written word element. And I feel like journaling is such a great way to do that. And Again, thank you so much for coming on the show and for talking about this kind of heavy, really important topic and also about a movie that's really good. <laughs> like so good. we're being honest, it's yes. really
3: good. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to do it. And I'm glad, you know, the thing is like, you can have difficult conversations. That's, that's also oh, part yes. of what I want to give people permission to do. You don't have to have like the definitive answer. You don't have to agree with the other person. You, we can all have difficult conversations and still like, just continue moving forward together. Yes.
0: Yes. I a hundred percent agree. And I mean, what a perfect bow on, on what this interview is for me anyway. And I mean, so just, uh, you know, you're welcome back anytime. I should also (laughs) say that.
3: (laughs) Thank you so, so much. And it's a pleasure chatting with you. And I look
0: forward to next time. I do too. I think it's going to be great. I mean, thank you so much. My pleasure. Another huge thank you to Laura Rubin for coming on the show and talking about her favorite film, Annie Hall. I cannot begin to describe how much fun I had doing this interview. I know that's kind of strange way of, of saying it, but it was honestly so fun to, to talk with somebody about an issue that is so deep and, and is so prevalent in, you know, what's going on today. And, and to have somebody who, you know, loves this movie so much and to get her Her perspective on it was just honestly so amazing and so interesting and so fun and all of those good things. (laughs) And at the end of the day, it leaves you, you know, with this question, you know, we we give you the opportunity that we have talked about the film together. So that leaves you with if you haven't seen the movie already, will you watch it? Will you not watch it? You know, it's totally up to you. And if you do watch it, will you go in with a different perspective? And so I'm really interested in, you know, what you guys have to say. Thus, you can follow us on Instagram and let us know what you think and what your perspective is. If you're watching the movie for the first time or if you're re watching the movie for the first time in a long time. So you can follow us on Instagram at Scopophilia underscore podcast. We do also have a TikTok at Scopophilia, the podcast. I'd love to hear from you guys. And since you're already online, you might as well rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it helps us out a lot. And I love hearing from you guys. I cannot stress it enough, especially with this episode. And before I forget, we do also have merch for the show. Um, You can find the link in our Instagram bio, as well as on the website, ncpodcasts slash scopophilia, uh, ncpodcasts.com slash scopophilia. We have hats, totes, and shirts. Um, I personally love to wear mine while walking around my neighborhood on my lunch break, so... Love to see where you guys are wearing yours if you decide to buy one and support the show. Lastly, don't forget to tell your friends of family and your family of friends and everybody in between about the show because we love having these conversations together and we're really just getting started. So you might as well rope everybody into the conversation and join the party because we're having fun, aren't we? As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye!